we just take a moment to, number one, celebrate all the people that make this church so great, and that, that means you and all the people that serve and give and do what they do. And this also a, a time of year where we kind of invite you into the, to the process. Maybe you've been coming for a few weeks or a few months, or maybe you've been coming for years, but I know how life is and, and seasons come and go where you're busier than others and you're free. But we want to invite you by the end of this day to be a part of making this church great. Because here's what I know. Great churches don't just you know, kind of just poof and, and, and appear out of nowhere. Great churches only exist because great people make great church. That's it. Great people make great church. Um, you know, can you imagine uh, if you had a, a, a great teaching pastor, but like no kids workers, you would have, you know, just kids running around the building. And how many of you ever had, remember, remember the services every once in a while, I think maybe Christmas Eve we'll do a service where the kids are in here with us. It's bananas, isn't it? So that's why, that's why we have children's ministry. And so, um, but what, what if you had, what if you had all this great stuff with musicians and whatever, but you didn't have people running the sound? Or what if you, what if you just had this great environment, but nobody was friendly and ever talked to you or greeted you? And so there's all these different dynamics. Hey, what if you came in and all these things are here, but you don't have a place to sit? <laughs> You're not going to hang out that long. You're going to get tired eventually. And so the things that go into making a great church start with great people. And that's really what we want to talk to you about today. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me and we'll just kind of begin. Jesus, we pray that you'd be with us today, that you would be in our midst to speak to us. God, we pray that you would use these holy words to change our heart, to change our life, to change us from the inside out, God. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we, we kind of kick off I Love My Church. Now real quickly, um, let, let's, let's pull the audience real quick. How many of you as children, little kids, grew up kind of going to church? Raise your hand up real quick. Grew up going to church little kids? Okay, put your hands up. There's a lot of you. How many of you did not grow up at church at all? Didn't go to, wow, still a lot of hands going up. It's, it's, a, it's a sea of hands. And so um, real quick, okay, so let's go back into people who, who grew up going to church as kids. How many of you grew up Catholic? You grew up Catholic, a lot of hands going up. Okay, how many of you grew up in like just... What you would say is one of your denominational Protestant churches, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, something like that. How many grew up like charismatic, Pentecostal? Yeah, you were swinging from the chandeliers. That's right. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, so, okay, so we got a whole eclectic group of people. So a lot of times people come into this place and they'll ask me, you know, Todd, what kind of church is this? Because it's, it's not on the... It's not on the sign, right? It just says New Beginnings Church. Other churches, they might have their denominational tag underneath them, or if you go to their website, you can find out. There's just nothing like that. We're what you would technically call a non-denominational church, and I don't even know where that phrase came from other than there was a group of people that just said, we're not a part of any group. We're just kind of hanging out out there. And so uh, then they came up with like a new phrase. It was interdenominational, and it was like... We don't want to be not a part of a group. We want to include all groups. And so anyway, there's all these kind of names out there. Um, I like to say it like this. When people ask me, Todd, what kind of church is this? And usually it comes from people that are new and people that are visitors. I tell them, look, I don't really know. (laughs) Here's what I know. I love Jesus. I read the Bible. And I'm just trying to serve God with my life. That's it. And so that's kind of how we. So if you ever wondered what kind of church are we? We're a church that loves Jesus, reads the Bible, and are trying to serve God with our life. Can I get a, can I get a what, what? Okay, so. And, and, and there is nothing wrong with other denominations and their names and interdenom and non-denom, non-denom. You know, you can shorten it. And so I, I, all that stuff is good. I, I love church. Here's what I want you to know. Like, I love my church, but I want you to know I love the church. Because I mean, you know, there's bunches of little churches, what we call local churches, small individual groups and gatherings of people. But then there's the church, right? Like there's a global thing. And that looks even crazier. Because when you look at the church in America, you got to admit, like, 
there's all kinds of different brands of Christianity. And so, you know, when, for example, when I grew up, I grew up Baptist. And so when I grew up, how many grew up Baptist? Anybody? Baptist? Yeah. Now, real quick. First Baptist or Southern Baptist? <laughs> yeah. Who even knows at this point? You know, there's a book like that thick of all the different Christian denominations. That's kind of sad, ain't it? And so any, I don't, what would Jesus say to that? What would Jesus say to the, the hundred different denominations that we, I don't know. Um, I'm not making any judgment. I just don't know. And so I grew up Southern Baptist and that mean, this is what that means. They're, they're evolving, but traditional Southern Baptist churches had pews, not chairs, it has stained glass windows. It has a steeple out there. It's got chandeliers in the ceiling. Remember I told you when you get bored, you count the chandeliers and you figure out who they fall on because you get bored if the sermon goes too long or if the preacher's boring. And then, and then they had a giant pulpit, okay? And then they have thrones. Did your church have thrones? Anybody have a church with thrones? Thank you. There you say, so, yeah, good, good, good. So that's the way I grew up. And so if anybody, so sometimes when you hear me talk or preach or wonder why I am the way that I am, some of it obviously comes from the fact that I was raised in this kind of Southern Baptist environment. But, everybody say but. But here's the deal. Here's my life journey. I at some point um, had a genuine experience with God. So I was raised in church, but I never had a real connection with God. Faith was shaky, wasn't sure what I believed, lived a... <laughs> How do I phrase this? And I lived a life away from God. I'm just going to, put, I'm going to say that and that, we'll leave that there. And so if you know me well enough or if you hear enough stories that I was a terrible child and a terrible teenager. But I had an experience with God. And so then I decided, I mean, I really need God. I really want God. And I start going back to church, which is what most of us do. If we grew up going to church, we kind of return. And, and so here was my deal, though. But I'm in this church and I feel like... Whatever it is about my church, it's not life-giving. It just felt kind of stale. It felt kind of dry. It felt lifeless to me. And so then I meet a guy who goes to a different kind of church. And, and this is a guy I went to high school with. And, and, and it, was a, it was a black guy named Holly. And we became best friends my senior year of high school. And he goes, dude, you got to come to church with me. So then he would take me to these Pentecostal all-black churches. I was the only white person in the building... And they loved me for it. They loved me. They did. They were like, you're white kids here. <laughs> we're so excited because church can be, now, not in California as much, but in the South, church can be very segregated. Your white churches are white churches and your black church. And a lot of that stylistically, it's not, it's not racism. It's just style, like, because the black church has such a unique style to the way they do church. And man... Talk about life-giving. It was over-the-top life-giving. I saw stuff that I had never seen before, and I thought I'd seen a lot through just my heathen times. I saw stuff in church I'd never seen before. And I'd see, you know, very, very passionate styles of worship and expression and all that stuff. And so, anyway, I was drawn to that. Then I was drawn to something that gave life, and it was really, really life-giving. And so, later I go on to a kind of more charismatic Bible college, and that's where I went to school. After that, I worked in... Uh, Basically, two charismatic churches, one in Michigan and then one over in San Jose. And then, of course, I come out here when I'm too young. I think I'm only like 20. And I come out here and I kind of take over this church and we launch it and make it go independent in its own direction in 2009. So if you ever wonder, wondered about the church, this church was an offshoot of Jubilee Christian Center in San Jose. I was the youth pastor there for, 
I don't know what, eight, nine years, something like that. And so um, anyway, after that, I come out here and, and start this church. But here's what you need to know about churches. Churches, for the most part, unless they have strong denominational ties, they really do begin to slowly reflect who their pastor is. And so that's why this church kind of evolved into the direction that it did. And that's where we're at now, 2015. And that's kind of the way that this church all began. Now, let me tell you about... The, the church stylistically and why it kind of is the way that it is. Now, is this church exactly the way that it ought to be? No. That's because no church is perfect, and no leader ever gets his church dialed in just this, the perfect image of what he thinks it ought to be. It's just a constant movement, a constant leadership, trying to move a group of people and, and a body of believers in a certain direction. So that's ongoing. But let me tell you where it really comes from. It comes from those two unique experiences that I had as a kind of young person coming up through the church. My first experience was being a part of a Southern Baptist church that that in particular church just seemed a little bit too traditional and it didn't make sense to me. It was so traditional that everything went right over my head. Nothing ever made sense to me. It was foreign to me as a young person. But then I, I went to other churches and I got involved into like certain charismatic or Pentecostal or certain churches like that. And I loved the fact that they were passionate and I loved the fact that they were life-giving. But I also found that they weirded me out sometimes. <laughs> they were so over the top. They were so expressive. They were so whatever that sometimes you'd get freaked out. And the other thing that I learned was this, is I would try, because I was always a guy that loved people who were away from God. I really would. I, would. I would probably just assume go hang out with somebody who doesn't know God at all than to hang out with a bunch of Christians. That's just the way that I am. I like heathen people. I like unsaved people. I like crazy people. I don't care if you're atheist. I like you. And I, I'll, just, I'll just love the, the heck out of you. Or I'll love the hell out of you too. So anyway, um, I, I love people. And so anyway, um, I realized that when I invited people into these Pentecostal churches that they were absolutely like, scared you know it's like oh my gosh and so what i found was is that one church seemed to be so traditional that it didn't make sense and one church seemed to be so over the top that it would freak people out and so my thought was todd what if we could build a church that would fit the need of that category because some people grew up in a pentecostal and, and they love it and anything that's not is, is lifeless to them. It's like, and that's cool, that's fine, then go to those kind of churches. And other people love tradition, and they love all the stuff with tradition. You should totally go to one of those. There's nothing wrong with either of those camps, but here's where this church came from, New Beginnings came from. It came from the idea of what if we could build a church that was incredibly relevant and made sense, but was incredibly passionate and life-giving at the same time. And it kind of blended those two worlds together to where we could reach people who were looking for something that was life-giving, but also something that was just relevant and made sense. That is where we come from, and that's a little bit, give you the foundation of hopefully where we're going. In light of that, let's go read the Bible now. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 6, I want you to see where this idea of church come from, comes from. The Bible says in Matthew 16, it says that Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. And he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, I mean, everybody's got theories. Some people, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. You're obviously somebody important and powerful and godly. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Remember this, that the gospel is a very, very personal question. It's not private. It's a personal question. At the end of the day, you need to answer the question, who do you say that Jesus is? It's incredibly 
important. Number, number 17 here, verse 17. Uh, Jesus, or I'm sorry, verse 16. Simon Peter said, well, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus then replies, said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Everybody say, my church. Yeah, I will build my church. Notice Jesus, Jesus says, that's my church. The little one, the big one, the global one, the local one. It's all, it's G- whose church is it? It's Jesus' church. He said, I love my church. I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Messiah. Because he's trying to keep a lid on it until the whole thing went... went and so... Here you find the first time ever that you see the word church. Everybody say church. Okay, now that's an English word, though. That's not what Jesus said. And so this is the cool picture. Jesus takes his youth group up to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was incredibly heathenistic. They were doing all kinds of awful pagan worship that I cannot describe in church. And he's sitting around talking to him. And he said, hey, let's talk about where we're going. Let's talk about what the future looks like. First of all, who do you think that I am? Because this is the foundation of everything. Jesus as the son of the living God. That's the foundation of everything. Without that, you don't got a church. That's it. That everything starts there. And everything starts with the beginning, beginning with the fact who Jesus is. That's everything. But from there, we're going to build on it. And here's what you need to know. I'm going to build my church. Now, here, here again, Jesus was saying something that was a little bit different than what we say in our English. And I'll get to that in a little bit later. Because we're going to build this thing. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it this was referring to like a literal pagan area of worship where there was like a, a, a it was basically like a spring and a carving out area of of a, of, a, of a big cliff and this is where they worshiped and they thought that, that that basically pan the god of fertility would go into the underworld during you know the winter and he would come back in the spring and so they'd do all kinds of weird stuff to get pan to come back out and so anyway that's where that was coming from it was like this literal place and he said even places like this will not overcome you he said, this is what I'm going to do. And then he goes on to say, I'm going I'm to give you the keys to the kingdom. And this was fascinating too. This is something we don't typically understand. He goes, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, for the longest time, I didn't know what that meant. Baptist people don't talk about binding and loosing. And Pentecostal people love talking about binding and loosing. We love binding up demons. And so anyway, and loosen the Holy Ghost. Right? I don't even know how that works all the time. And so anyway, what this literally meant to them was binding and loosing was a Hebrew idiom meaning to forbid or to allow. To forbid or to allow. And so what he was saying was this. Is he goes, hey, apostles, y'all are going to be the leaders of this thing called the church. And you're going to run into stuff that, that maybe you have to figure out on the fly and on the go. And I want you to know because I imparted to you and I taught you everything that you need to know. And the Holy Spirit will lead you with the rest. That you're going to have to make decisions and you're going to have to forbid certain things. And you're going to have to allow certain things. And people are going to have all kinds of questions for you. That's what it meant to give them the keys of the kingdom. He goes, I'm going to build my church. I love my church. I'm going to build my church. And Jesus loves the church even to this day. And I love the church as a a pastor over a church. And I hope you love the church. And what I want to talk about today for the next few moments is this. I'm going to share with you four non-negotiables that I think make a great church. Four different things that you need to accept, adopt, rewire in your mind, and embody so that we can make Jesus' church great. Are you ready? Let's go through this real quick. 
this morning. Number one is this. Don't go to church. Be the church. First and most important thing that you need to adopt and accept and understand and rewire and you might need a paradigm shift is you need to know you don't go to church. You are the church. Like, you need to realize that because it's in our vernacular, isn't it? We say things like, oh, I missed church last week. Oh, I'm getting up so I can get ready to go to church this, today. And we have all these ways of saying, well, I'm going to church. And it's been adopted into our vernacular that we go to church. Listen to me. You never go to church. You gather with the church, but you never go to church. Does that make sense? Because the church was not meant to be a place or a location or a building. As a matter of fact, this is where that word comes from. The word church comes from a German word. What they were doing when they were taking the original writings of Hebrew and Greek and translating them into common languages, they took this word that Jesus spoke. He spoke and said this, I will build my ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia. It literally means my following, my gathering, my fellowship. That's what it literally meant, my gathering. So if you could get your idea around what is the church, it is the gathering of Jesus' followers. That's it. So are we gathered together today? Yes. Well, you know what this is? This is the Jesus movement. This is the Jesus following. This is the Jesus gathering. But what we did was, is, is throughout history, we, when we translated the Bible into common languages, we took a German word meaning church. It literally meant the house of God. And we started to dial in and change our mentality. They never thought like this. They never believed that you had to be. This is why the Bible says in Acts 2 that they just met from house to house. They didn't have a church building. They didn't have pews, steeples, stained glass windows. They didn't have rock bands. They didn't have any of that stuff. What did they do? They, they were the gathering. Sometimes they'd meet in the synagogue. Then they'd go meet in people's houses. They'd go meet in the square. They'd go meet wherever they could because they realized you cannot go to church. You can only be the church. So at some point, you need to make a shift in your mind to say, you know what? I'm going to stop attending something and I'm going to start embodying something. Like, this is where we adopt the mentality of we are the carriers of the gospel. Not new beginnings and this building on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. This is just like convenient location for gathering. That's what this really is. What Jesus wanted you to become was the carriers of his presence. The carriers of the message of God. The carriers of grace. The carriers of God's love. Are you with me so far? Listen to this. I'll explain it like Paul did. 1 Corinthians 6 says this. It says, do you not know that your body, everybody say my body. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You're not even your own, by the way. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are, which are by the way, both gods. Here's what Paul is addressing. In his day, they didn't have churches. You know what they had? Temples. That's what they had. There was a synagogue, there was a temple in Jerusalem, and then all kinds of different places of worship, pagan worship, had temples. And so what he was doing was he was trying to eradicate the notion that you need to go to a temple to do something. That you need to go to a place to do something. He goes, no, 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 no. God actually lives inside of you now that you are a Christ follower. And everywhere you go, you are the church. Whether you're alone or whether you're hanging out with a group of people. And this is what I believe that we need to embody and we need to remember. And we need to make that shift because when we make that shift, everything else begins to fall into place. And you'll see this as we keep going. Number two is this. Not just be the church. Here's another one. Missions is not a trip. Missions is a mentality. 
Like, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I got the opportunity to go on, on mission trips. And, and the, the, the one, the famous one that my mother reminds me of all the time is when she was trying to get me to go on this missions trip as a, as a high school student. I wasn't a Christian yet, and I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world because I had to pay money to go work. And I thought, that is just dumb. And so she made me, and it was life-changing to me, though. And after that, doing missions, going on missions trips, helping people, doing all that. But here's kind of the mentality that we get. We think missions is a trip that you take once a year, once every other year, once a lifetime. That somehow missions is like getting into a bus to go to Mexico or getting in a plane to the Philippines or going somewhere. Missions is not a trip. Missions is a mentality. And here's what you need to know. When you become the church, then you recognize that I have a life mission now. See, a lot of you think, well, you know, Todd, you don't know me. I'm, I'm a general contractor, or I work in law enforcement, or I do this, or I own my own business, or I just work in a... Okay, that's a job. That's not a mission. Are you hearing me? Listen to what Jesus said. This is what he tells his disciples when it's all wrapping up. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 28 says this. He gathers them all together. He goes, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me So in light of that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you know what we call this? We call this the Great Commission. Yeah, you guys have heard that before. We call it the Great Commission. So Jesus... He he dies for our sins, he saves us, he gives us freedom, he gives us life, he gives us a future, a home in heaven, he gives us his presence. He goes, okay, now, in light of that, now that everything is sealed and everything is done, you don't have to worry about anything else, here's what we got to do. It's time to get back on mission now. See, the original mission of Israel was to become this, and they did it. They were told back in the book of Isaiah that they needed to become the light of the world, and and they kind of stalled out. And so then Jesus comes along... And says, okay, it's time to take the next advancement forward. It's time for you to get the next kind of real understanding of who God is. And here, y'all just need to know this. We're tearing down the temple. There is no more temple. Think about this. Jesus shows up and then years after he died, just a few years after he died, the Romans destroyed the temple and the temple is never rebuilt again. Is that a coincidence? I'm telling you what, what, what basically they did was they did away with the temple model. They did away with, hey, here's what you need to do. You need to go to a holy place, listen to a holy man, talk about some holy scriptures, and you need to do some holy things. They're like, Jesus is like, I'm done with that. We're done. Get rid of that. That's the old model. This is the new model. This is the new covenant. This is what we're going to do now. Actually, now, you don't have to go to a temple. You're the temple. God lives inside of you, and I want you to go everywhere. And then all of a sudden, the presence of God became liquid. It became a movement. It became a revolution. They literally took over the entire known world in one generation because they had no binding to a place and a holy man that you had to go do a holy thing to get God to like you. Like, we're done with that model. God's love, God's grace will go everywhere and it'll go inside of you. That's the mission. We call it the great, everybody say commission. Co-meaning with, co-meaning together, co-meaning jointly. We all have a mission. You got a job. And don't get me wrong, I want you to go to job. (laughs) Be on time, work hard, represent Christ well. But know this, your mission so supersedes your job. How many of you have had more than one job in your life? More than two jobs, three jobs, four jobs. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, That might say something about you, too. We might need to talk about that. Um, My point is, though, you have multiple jobs. You have a mission. And it's not a trip that you take once a year. 
It's a mentality. It's something that you embody. And it's this. No matter where I'm at, whether I'm in my neighborhood, whether I'm at church on Sunday morning, whether I'm in my job, whether I'm at my crazy family reunion, wherever I am, I always have my mission. This is why we get up every Sunday morning. And every Sunday morning service, I think somebody eventually in the 411 or somebody says, hey, look, here's just what we're about. Just so you know, new beginnings, this is what we're about. We're about connecting people to Jesus. That's it. You know why? Because that's our mission. That's just the mission that we have all been given. And when we start becoming the church instead of attending church and we adopt a mission instead of maybe going on a trip once in a lifetime, then things begin to happen. Let's keep going here. Number three is this. Do not become church members. Become ministry partners. Let me say that again. Do not become church members. You need to become ministry partners. People ask me all the time, hey, how, how, how do I sign up for membership? We don't have membership. Because here, here, I don't want you on a roster. And I don't want you on a roll, and I don't want you paying dues, okay? Because here's the problem with church members. Members have mentalities. Is anybody a member of something? Okay, I'm a member of a, of a gym. I pay them money every month, and I never go. Anybody, anybody out there? I'm just paying my dues. I know, man, they sucker you in. They send you the really fit person on the brochure, and they're like, come, and you'll look like this. And then you, and then you don't go. But it's on your credit card or your debit card, and they just take that money out every month. And then they make you feel bad because you're like, I want to go. I need, I need to go. I can't go. I hate it. Death cycle. Anyway, I'm sorry. How many have ever been a member of anything, though? Here, here's the problem with membership, and it's a, it's a membership mentality, is that typically we as members of anything pay our dues and then we expect our rights. Does that make sense? Like, I paid my dues, so therefore I expect these things. That's not what the church was ever meant to be, okay? We don't, we don't want church members, because here's the thing. As church members, you know what you end up becoming? This, and this, you don't want to become this. You end up becoming a consumer, and you adopt the consumer mentality. Well, I paid this, so I deserve this. Or I gave this, so you, I deserve this in return. And we become consumers. And consumer mentality is, is basically infiltrated the church all throughout America. We have the mentality that church is, is basically like a grocery store. I go to this one because of the location and because the kids program is this and the preacher's really funny here. And, but I like this one over here a little bit better because the parking's better and I like the music over here better, but I like the teaching over here better. And so, so when we start looking at church as if it's a product that we need to die dissect and find out which one is the best for us and then we go there and we give a little bit and then we expect rights in return i got quiet up in here what are y'all now look let me let me let me preface that by saying this sometimes you ought to leave a church okay if they're preaching heresy or they, they, they the, the kids ministry loses your child a few times i mean you should leave okay just leave you should go somewhere else there are legitimate reasons why you should leave a church but by and large, just because of a, a consumer mentality that, well, well, this and this and this. And, and, and here's the problem. We end up coming, and again, we expect rights, and we forget about responsibility. See, church, church partners, ministry partners, that's what you want to become. What you want to become is a part of something to where you realize that I add value. Let, let, let's put it up like this here real quick here. Um, the consumer church looks to the professional pastor to meet their needs. Sorry, by the way. Um, great churches look to following a pastor in meeting the needs of the community. Do you see the difference? Totally different mentalities. Here's another one. The consumer church looks at what the body can add to them. 
great churches believe that every person is an intricate part of the body and must add its individual value. You don't want to be one of those people that just like comes and sucks the life out and soaks it in and takes and takes and takes and never gives anything in return. You don't want to become those people. Now, now listen to me. Again, there's exception to this. If you've come out of a difficult situation, I have this from time to time. I have people come out of horrible situations. I'm like, hey, look, don't, don't serve. Just sit. Just be ministered to. Let God heal your heart. Let, let, you know, but, and when the time is right, then you get back involved. Does that make sense? Uh, so I'm not saying that everybody ought to be slaving away every single Sunday morning. I, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is this, is that with whatever talents, abilities, and time that you do have available, you should always be thinking, how can I add value? Because great people make a great church. Great people make a great church. Great pastors, they don't make great churches. I've seen it. Guy can shuck the corn and preach the house down. Doesn't mean it's a great church if it's full of people who are purely consumers. I've seen other churches that they might have this or this. I'm telling you, great people make great churches. And it's all about when you begin to add your own individual value to make something better than what it is. Does that make sense? This is with Paul's analogy. The Apostle Paul, go read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. His whole analogy was this. The church is like a body, and every part has a role to play and a function. And when everybody's not doing their part, there's something a little bit off about that body. And so everybody, some people's the hair. Some people are the toes. Some people are the eyes. Some people are the legs. You got all kinds of weird body parts. Some parts are never even seen. Y'all are like innards and, 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 and stuff on the inside when nobody knows what, nobody knows what an appendix does anyhow. And so we, we don't even know why you're here, but you add value. You add something when you give of your time, your gifts, your prayers, whatever it is that you have. So don't become a church member that just consumes. Become a ministry partner that adds value. I'll tell you a joke here. I read this not too long ago. It was a guy who uh, was stranded on an island for years. And when a helicopter finally found him and picked him up, the helicopter looked and noticed that there were three huts. And he goes, you're on this island alone, right? He goes, yeah, all alone. He goes, why are there three huts? Oh, he goes, that's easy. He goes, that one, uh, that's my house. And he goes, uh, that, that was my first church. And then I left that one and I started going to that church. <laughs> so, don't, don't become that. Don't become just hopping and moving and changing because it didn't. No, no, no. Start adding value. Start contributing. Start being a partner. And then if you do that for an extended period of time, and it's still, then maybe you move on. But, but don't be a consumer and don't be a spectator at this thing called church. Somebody say amen. Let's keep going here. Um, number four is this. Last one, and we'll close here. Don't be religious. Be compassionate. Don't be religious. Here's, here's what I mean by religious. Jesus had a problem. If you ever read Jesus, Jesus is fascinating. Because Jesus is like the nicest guy in the world until you hack him off. And then he starts with whips and flipping tables, okay? And so, um, but he only does that twice. He only gets mad at one group of people. You ever notice this? Like the children, oh, let me pray for them. Sick people, I'm going to pray for them. Uh, heathens, let's go have a dinner party. Tax collectors, uh, hookers, I'll hang out with you too. I don't care, I'm down. I will love anybody. And then all of a sudden these people come along called the Pharisees, which are the, like the Klingons of the New Testament. And they're like the, the bad guys. And, and like Jesus, and most of them are actually good guys, but there was a group of corruption amongst the religious leaders of Jesus' day. That's why they killed him. It's because he exposed their corruption and their racketeering and how they were making money off of God's people. That's why they murdered him. But what he did was, is he so got angry. I'll give you a story. In, in, in Mark chapter 12, he goes into a home to do a Bible study. And the Bible says, and it was on the Sabbath. Everybody say the Sabbath. 
It's a holy day. And so here's what the Pharisees had done. The Pharisees had taken the Old Testament, which has about 613 commands, right? That's a lot. Uh, Jesus shrunk it down to two, by the way. Love God, love people. Everything fits into that. Just you focus on two. So anyway, 613 all the way down to two. But they thought about the 613, and they basically had another 500 that they added on top of it. (laughs) That sounds like fun, huh? And so... They took 600, added about 500 more, and then they had all these rules that they laid on the people and said, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. Well, here's the deal. When you say something like in the Old Testament, like honor the Sabbath, what the Pharisees came on and did was said, well, this is how you're going to honor the Sabbath. You can't do this, you can't do this, and they give all the rules of what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And, And so for some goofy reason, okay, so Jesus in Bible study, and the Bible says he sees a man with a withered hand, and it says that the Pharisees looked to Jesus to see if he would heal him. Now, what's Jesus going to do? <laughs> Why not? Why? You're compassionate. You're not religious. You're not thinking, like, oh, it's the Sabbath. Here, let me, hold on, let me check the 500 rules about what I can and can't do on the Sabbath. Are you kidding me? Let's just help the person. And so here, here's the idea, is that Jesus was constantly breaking rules that the Pharisees, now he didn't break the commands of the, of the Torah, the Old Testament. He broke all the rules that the Pharisees had come up with. Does that make sense? Like, that's just what he did. Like, like you couldn't touch a leper. What does Jesus do? Jesus makes him not a leper (laughs) because he touched him. Are you hearing me? Jesus did not conform to all the little rules just so that he made the Pharisees happen. He basically was saying, you know what? If it's in the Bible, we'll go with it. If it's not, forget it. We're going to help people. We're going to heal people. We're going to love people. We're going to minister to people. Hey, check this out. I'll minister to people who don't agree with my theology. Watch this. I'll minister to people who don't live my theology. I'll minister to people no matter whether they believe in God or don't believe in God. Meaning Jesus never said, you have to be like me for me to love you. But isn't that kind of the way the church has gone? Isn't it kind of like you got to look like us and smell like us before we begin to embrace you and love you? Jesus was the opposite way, though. He was like, why don't I just love you and embrace you and then I'll get you in the closer you get to God. We'll figure that all out because God will help you grow. Right? But you don't have to look like me before you. And and isn't that so true? People who were nothing like Jesus at all liked Jesus. And the church has the opposite problem, doesn't it? Like people that are nothing like us hate us typically. They think we're arrogant. They think we're judgmental. They they, they think we're holier than thou. They think we're hypocritical. They have all kinds of reasons. And listen to me. Every reason they have for not liking us are reasons that we shouldn't even like about ourselves either. Right? Every reason why people don't, but, but like whoever gets mad at compassion, whoever gets mad at generosity, whoever gets mad at helping people and loving people and, and nope, nobody, nobody gets mad about that stuff. It's typically this, it's typically the church because we get, we get too religious about stuff. We're more known for what we're against and we're never known for what we're for. And so Jesus wants to take that lid off and say, no, 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 here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into all the world. Let me, let me, let me throw some ideas at you. The religious church looks for outward change. Great churches look for inward transformation. Like, just get in. Just come closer. Let God change you from the inside out. Religious churches hold to tradition. Great churches care only about what is biblical. Now, listen to me. Traditions can be good. I'm not anti-tradition. Don't, don't misunderstand me here. But if tradition ever gets in the way of us ministering to people, then the tradition got to go. Does that make sense? The tradition doesn't trump people. People have intrinsic value. Traditions do not. Lastly, is this the religious church creates obstacles for getting to God. Great churches become all things to all people. All things to all people. 
These are the four mentalities, the four shifts, the four paradigms that need to take place in all of us so we continue. Now, let me, let me tell you about you real quick here. You're a great church. Like, I want you to know, you're a great church. As a pastor, I brag about you all the time. Whenever we ask for, like, hey, we're going to raise money for this cause, or we're going to, you know, do this or do this, or hey, we're going to go feed kids. You guys step up to the plate. You give. You're generous. You show up. You serve. You, you do so many great things. Um, you, you serve well. I want you to know that. I was talking to uh, my, my buddy who's a pastor in Georgia, and uh, he just started his church, and he's talking about getting children's workers. And every church, just so you know, every church struggles with getting enough kids' workers. Okay? Look, they don't got cooties. They're fine. All right? And they, they love you, I promise. And they, they, I'm telling you what, there's something special about ministering to kids and know that you are planting little seeds of life and hope and faith. And I'm telling you what, when you look at the studies, remember earlier when I said how many of you went to church as kids? Now, listen to me. I went to church as a kid. And, and, and coming up through the years, I would have said it made no difference in my life. But now that I look back, I know it absolutely made a difference in my life. And for many of you, the only reason you're here is because those little seeds of faith got stuck down in there deep. And they didn't grow right away, and you had your time of being crazy. Uh, but eventually, there's something powerful about ministering to kids. And anyway, he's asking me, and, and, and we're talking about kids' ministry, and I'm like, hey, our children's workers, I think almost all of them, most of them, only serve once a month. And he literally was like, shut up. You are kidding me. He goes, I have never heard of a church that had so many kids' workers that they could all just serve once. He goes, that's insane. I'm telling you, you're great at serving. Now, now listen, we, we still need more of you. <laughs> so I don't want you to think, oh, we're good. I'm God. I don't need to sign up now. No, we, we still need more. We still need more. We, we need people greeting. We need people setting up chairs in the morning. We need people ministering to our kids. We need people making coffee. That coffee's good. We're going to start busting out some. We, we need to get some, some, some iced tea up in here, though, because it's getting hot out now. And so we need some sweet, some sweet tea, and I'll get that next week. But anyway, as we do a little bit of apple cider when it gets cold outside, and we do some eggnog at Christmas. It's good. Anyway, we need you making eggnog, okay? We need, we need all these things. We need people that give. We need people that serve. We need people that host small groups. We need people that contribute. We need people to play instruments and sing and do all this stuff. We need all of that. We, hey, any way that you can contribute, we need it. Because great churches are made by great people. It's just the way that it is. And I want you to know that we have a great church, but I don't want us to like rest on our laurels. I don't want us to sit back. I don't want us to take it easy. Like, hey, we're doing pretty good. We're doing all right. We're hanging in there. No, no, no. Let, let me tell you some things. We could still use more of you. We still need you serving. Because listen to me. If we are a body and you're not playing your part, then something's missing. We need you to serve. We need you to contribute. We need, to, we need you to give. We need you to pray. We need you to partner with us. We need you to be a part of this thing from the inside out. Because, hey, here's the other thing. The gospel is not just meant for this little group of people right here, is it? No, it's time for us to invite friends, go out and share our faith. It's time for us to go beyond the four walls of this building on a Sunday morning and not just go to church. We need to be the church. We need to not just take a mission trip once in our lifetime. We need to always be on mission. We don't want to be religious. We want to be compassionate and love people who are nothing like us so that they might know how great God is. This is what makes great church. And my, my big ask for you today is this, is will you join us if you are not currently a part of what we're doing? Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? God, thank you so much for this great group of people. God, thank you for, for all the people who do serve, who do give, who do pray. And, and thank you, thank you, thank you so much. God, thank you for all the new people who, who maybe haven't taken that first step yet, but they're here, God. God, I pray that, that all of them would be motivated today to give of their talents, their gifts, their resources, whatever it is. God, wherever their season of life is, whatever time they do have that they could give, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in their hearts and move in their minds now. 
today, let us all ask the question, God, what can I do? What can I give? What would you have me do? What would you have me give? How can I help? How can I be more than a participator and be a partner? How can I be more than a spectator and contribute? How can I go beyond maybe just showing up? How can I show up and give and change life for someone else? That's what makes church great. I thank you for this wonderful group of people. God, I pray that you would move in, or that you would move in their hearts and in their minds, Lord. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Here's what I want you to do.